Start eight. Wow. Nine two nine one eight six seven. No sure, warning. Why not? Zero <laughs> warning, Mike. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. My name's Mike Garcia, uh, your reluctant captain. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Grant. <laughs> All right. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the TNG series premiere, Encounter at Farpoint. Uh, we a few of us watched this a few a uh, few days ago. Or was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday, right? With um, Tuesday. Yes, it was Tuesday. We watched it with the uh, the patrons on Slack, um, and we're going to dive into it a little deeper, talking about Q because Q is going to be probably a big part of Picard season two coming up. And we know there's tons of Q apps to to potentially watch and um, analyze and theorize over for Picard season two. Um, maybe too many QFs. We're going to stick to maybe like three or four of the main ones that I think will be um, relevant for Picard season two. So tonight we're talking about his his first encounter with Picard and the Enterprise encounter at Farpoint. The TNG premiere came out in 1987. But before we dive into that, Mariah, can you tell everyone where they can uh, find us? Yeah, you can go to StarTrekPod.co to find links to everywhere we broadcast when we go live, as well as links to how you can subscribe to the audio-only version of the show. But did you know you can also just watch us on replay on YouTube as well? And you can leave comments, and sometimes we respond to those comments too. So if you missed the live stream, make sure you engage with us uh, later on. We love hearing your feedback. And again, that's StarTrekPod.co. I think that even if you have, um, if you have like a computer farm, and you could just go to every single computer and set it up to be constantly playing and looping back all of our episodes. Perfect. Plan. Um, that's good. That That's helpful for us. Let us be the Bitcoin of podcasts. <laughs> it's bad for the environment. Good for our numbers. <laughs> I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I don't know if I want to be the Bitcoin. Um, I'm going to jump in here to talk about another way you guys can support us, which is patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. There you can go and make a per episode donation, kick us a buck or two. And if you give us two bucks an episode, you can join us on our exclusive Slack channel, our Star Trek Slack channel. And why is that cool? Well, Mike actually just talked about it. The fact that, you know, we do exclusive episodes, but there's also these little social hangs where all these Trek, uh, Trek fans and these lovely folks that have joined us over there um, will set up and do viewing episodes and discussions about different episodes. And that's exactly what happened with this Q episode that we're going to talk about happened a couple days ago. And you could get in on that. Join the community. It's a bunch of lovely people. And we would love to have you there as well and you're doing a great thing you're supporting a podcast that you like financially I, grant i gotta say if you haven't participated in a watch along you are truly missing out so for like seriously for two bucks an episode you can come to slack i mean there's a watch along going on just about every night but it is a great fun i have to say i guess it was a couple months ago our watchers and listeners, our viewers, challenged me to watch a Star Trek Enterprise episode. You know, I I talk a lot of smack about how it's my least favorite series. They challenged me to watch one with them. 
And while I still don't know if I'm quite ready to watch on my own, it is a lot of fun watching them with a group of people and chatting about them. Um, and so if you haven't had that experience, I highly suggest two bucks, join the Slack. Um, you'll, you'll find us in there just about every night of the week. Yeah. All right. Very time. cool. Hey, Clyde, can you tell everybody how they can uh, chat with us live? Yeah, just start yelling at your your screen, yep. and we'll we'll hear you. No, like really um, loud. Yeah, just as loud as you can wake people in your house. No, um, I would say if you are watching us live, then on whether you're on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or wherever you are, type in a capital P, capital O, capital D in your chat. That'll get our attention. That you want, you have a comment or a question for us. But otherwise, have fun with the gang in the chat. Uh, keep it respectable um, and and comment along with the show. I uh, I have a question for y'all before we jump in. Uh oh, what's your it- over under on how many times Q has appeared on a televised Star Trek? I'm going to say fifteen times. Okay. Um, <gasps> at least ten. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go. I was thinking thirteen, but Grant said fifteen. I'm gonna take over. I'm gonna take Grant's over fifteen, more than fifteen times. So if we're if we're playing prices right rules, Mike got it. It is twelve episodes. Oh, I should have said thirteen. I would have been there. Bum, bum, well, you gotta bum, do. You, got, you can't go over. Can't you know, go prices over. right style. You know. Gotcha. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Doing the Bob Barker prices right now. Only Jupiter. appeared um, in TNG. No, no. No. Oh, is it the same actor? Yeah. Like yes. the other ones too? John yeah, Delance? Or if you're just joining us, uh, Grant is our Trek newbie, even though he's watched hours and hours of Star Trek that we've made him watch over the years. Yes. Um, but mostly new Trek, right? Mostly Discovery and the new shows. So Grant is giving us his, uh, I guess this is going to be your first uh, Q episode you've ever seen, so we'll get a fresh perspective on Q. I yep, Grant Trek newbie. I know a lot of people like um, aren't big Q fans. Um, it, he, he kind of he kind of splits the fan base a little bit. People love him, some people really hate him, and then some are just indifferent. I know there's a few patrons that we have that absolutely hate him, and it looks like uh, some of those people are not here tonight. Because <laughs> maybe they don't like Q. <laughs> like, <laughs> that they're noticeably absent for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, let's just dive into this episode. This is going to be a loose hand, guys. We're just going to talk about Q and kind of theorize about what he could be doing. And Picard kind of taking, taking, uh, mining these old Q episodes for clues about what Q can be doing. And Picard season two, hanging out with a geriatric Picard, a geriatric robot Picard, as it were. Um, yep. All right. I think it's time for some hot freaks. Oh. Hot freaks. All right. <laughs> there was certainly a hot freak in this episode. Uh, that just is very true. In particular, he is studly. He's just so baby faced. Mm. So, this is, is pre beard, uh, yeah. Do you do you guys want to feel really old? <laughs> yeah, every day I look forward to this, feeling really old. Every day, <laughs> this episode came out a year before I was born. What? 
All right, it's been fun. Y'all have a good time. I'm out. I didn't know you were going to make us feel old by pointing out how young you are. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I got told okay. today I look like I was in my 20s, so I'm going to just like live in it. Wow. All right, baby face, tell us what you thought about this episode. Oh, man. So I have never seen this whole thing before because I don't think this made it into the syndicated list or ones they routinely syndicated onto uh the WBCW, uh, which is where UPN. I watched a lot of UPN. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that there is. I was like, it's one of those. I can't remember UPN. I don't think this was on UPN very often. Um, so I had never seen it. Uh, so it was quite a shock to see how they queued up <laughs> the series from the beginning. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I was like, Picard is a dick. Uh, Riker is hot. Jordy is hot. I'm here for it. Um, Diana Troy is in a tiny, tiny <sighs> outfit. There's men also in tiny outfits, which I appreciated. Little mini skirts everywhere. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting to see how all of these characters were introduced, um, including Q, who I'm most familiar with um, on Voyager, uh, when he would come and hang out in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I saw this, I would be like, I'll give it two more episodes and that's, and I got to see where (laughs) this is going. (laughs) I do not think this pilot would make it past producers of today. Well, no, I mean, come on. Right. You weren't even bored when this pilot came out, Mariah. (laughs) You got to have different standards, you know? I um I actually really enjoyed this. I haven't seen it in like a decade and watching it again was a lot of fun because it's so weird how stilted the entire episode is and how everyone just seems um uh so awkward with each other, right? The whole cast is like it seems like nobody wants to be there. <laughs> it definitely seems like Patrick Stewart doesn't really want to be there. Um not that he doesn't give a good performance. He just gives kind of a kind of a stoic and and then sometimes angry performance. And I guess that I is <laughs> what's that? I hate kids. Yeah. <laughs> and that is part of the character. And those rough edges do get smoothed out over the course of the series, obviously. And that that is a bit of an uh, emotional arc for the guy. So he had to start somewhere and get somewhere, right? So I guess that kind of makes sense. But um the what I really liked about this episode was that, like in the original series, um, it was always about you know Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry's whole vision was every episode Kirk is going to show up on a planet or find find a civilization that that represents some kind of social problem in the 1960s. They're too racist, or they're very racist, or de- they're defined by sexism or something. And then Kirk's going to judge them. And then fix them, right? We and talked about the, this a little bit on the Slack hang, Clyde. You you forgot love them. He's going to judge them, love them, and then fix them. He will love some of them, especially the green ones. Oh, he's um, going to love them. But in this episode, that's kind of flipped, right? We have the alien, Q, who shows up and tells the humans that they're the ones who are backwards. They're the ones who have the social problems. They're the ones who are regressive instead of progressive. And I just really like that that kind of, that flip. And it 
it was the pretense was gone in terms of like Star Trek telling us allegories, social allegories that are based on uh, other alien civilizations. In this episode, it was just like, you humans are bad. You war, you murder, you kill. And that's why I'm not going to let you um, travel forth through the galaxy. Of course, that kind of gets erased as the series goes on. We go back to the the Kirk formula, formula where we, where we find other aliens and we have that allegory with them. But I like the way it they kind of turned the original Star Trek um, uh, themes on its head here that way. And John Delancey is just so much fun to watch. He's so good in this. And when he's funny, he's funny. When he's threatening, he actually feels threatening. Um, and I love the costuming. But yeah, I I know there's a lot of hot trash in this episode. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. Grant Davis. Me? Uh, what do I say about this? This is the third TNG episode you guys have um, tricked me into watching. <laughs> the other ones were the Lower Decks episode and the one where Worf won't save that dude with his blood and Jordy uh, is like stuck on a planet or something. I don't remember what was going on there. Um, so this is this one. I finally I, I think I got to see more of the team kind of operating with each other where I didn't really see that in other episodes. And this was also long. This was a two-parter. I felt I felt doubly tricked with having to watch this one. <laughs> I had lunch with Grant today and he's like, Oh, I still need to watch that episode. Do I do I have to watch it? And like, it flies by. Don't worry. <laughs> so, it's not 90 minutes home. or anything. I mean, there's lots afternoon. of scenes where the ship flies by, if that's what you meant. <laughs> um I don't know. Uh this is kind of what I expected of uh the next generation. It's kind of slow and boring and a little bit awkward with it. It's it's budget sets and um, just seeing Picard get onto this weird elevator thing that slowly lifts up was just, um, nah, it was perfect. It was perfect for what I thought was going to be going on with the Star Trek sets. Uh, the introduction of the characters, I, I guess it's fine. I, I like the idea of having... Um, some people be on the ship and then the device of having Riker and Crusher and um, that kid and Jordy all be on this other planet waiting to get picked up was a, a way to kind of break it up and, and introduce us as well as, um, you know, the people on the ship to each other. Uh, the episode itself. I mean, I, I know we're going to go a little bit more in depth into what Q's deal is. But from me not really being familiar with the rest of the world of, of TNG, it feels like what I was seeing here is Q basically being the conscience of, of Picard and the, the, what's it called? What's the name of the ship? The Enterprise? Um, yeah, being that, one. that one. The mm-hmm. Enterprise. Uh, being, being this... Um, this this guardian, this mentor, who's basically trying to be like, you have the potential for greatness, and I'm going to challenge you in order to make you better on the other side, and I'm going to push you to make the argument for why humanity is better than its um, its obvious obvious historical demons, right? And 
I guess what my impression was prior to this was that he's just kind of a rascal and trickster. I didn't, I didn't have this, this idea that he might be a trickster who's ultimately um, uh, having kind of this, this motive for good in the universe. So that that was interesting to me to see how he acts like the foe in order to get Picard and crew to show the best of what um, Starfleet and, and humanity can be. You know, he often claims to be that in the series, a force of good, um, trying to push these kids into where they could be or, or should be. But he does it in some very destructive ways that often you find yourself questioning whether or not that's his true motive or whether he just likes to fuck with people. People are laughing at me because I didn't know the name of the ship. Yep. It's kind of iconic. Yeah. I mean, if, it if was, there's one was, ship you're going to know. That's it was I, I, in discovery and three Trek movies. We all watched for this show. <laughs> I almost called it Discovery, and then I was like, that's not the name of it. What is it? It's like NC-17 or some shit. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Do not get, get me started on that. <laughs> Clyde Haynes, give me your hot freight. Uh, you know, it's interesting. So um, I, I made the comment earlier, I think in the Slack or on the Clubhouse, that I, I know I watched this when it came on because it was such a big deal in in my household. I have no idea how I made it to episode two, right? Um, and and so it, you guys know that long long time ago when we first met, uh, I was part of a podcast called Pilot Watching. So watching pilots is something that I enjoy. I like watching the first episode and kind of breaking it down and looking at it. But the one thing that I know about pilots is it, it's – even though they have a long time to, to work on it, you're getting a rough draft of what that show is going to be. And I'm always fascinated by when you look at a pilot and there, you have to think that there is a decision somewhere, a business decision where they go, yes, we're going to go forward. So if you jump into like season five or season six of Star Trek, The Next Generation, you see a crew that's incredibly intertwined and connected to one another. The stories are deep. We get backstories that are rich about everyone from Jordy to Worf to Data and his children and his siblings. Like there's so much meat when you look at this ensemble character, like the, the, the ensemble. We got none of that <laughs> in the pilot right like it was you had no idea who would be a, a a central piece of this show by the pilot and i think mariah you may have said it and they looked like they hated each other right like they were all reluctantly there i think someone in our slack during the watch along said that like um patrick stewart didn't even unpack his bags like through most of the first season. And I was like, yeah. honestly, after I filmed this pilot, I don't know if I would have either. I would have been like, they're going to get us 10 episodes in. Cause again, these show like purchases mm -hmm. were so much bigger back then. They're going to get 10 episodes in and just pull the plug. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was definitely, I'm, I'm looking at this and going, okay, this, they're still really trying to figure this out. Um, and the, the tone 
was was harsh. Um, so I, I look at that and go, I'm, and then you think about where we got to, the ability for them to work through that and to to keep going, because I feel like today you get three episodes in and they'll pull that thing. Yeah, they will just cancel the whole thing. You know, this is not working. If your ratings aren't high, if 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 they don't believe in you, you're out of there. So as I'm watching this, and we look back now and we know that the tension between Crusher and Picard be becomes something that we're not quite sure of for seven seasons, right? You're always kind of rooting for it in the back of your head. You know, you you look at the the heavy handedness that was between Troy and Riker gets much more nuanced in the you show. Mean the longing looks with the musical shift that tells you <laughs> something's happened here. I mean, hold up. First of all, um, if Picard actually has to ask the question, do you know each other? By the way, they're staring at each other in silence, <laughs> in silence, a foot in front of him, he should be fired as captain because he has and no then, perception. And then there was the uh, the really bad double entendre where Picard's like, I always like to know what he, I forgot exactly what he <laughs> says, but I always love it when my officers know each other's capabilities. And then, yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, capabilities. I, I was yeah. a little confused, though. Um, did she not know him by name? Like, did they like hook up or something? But like, she doesn't actually know his name because no, she does. Imzadi and like uh, William, uh, a William Riker is going to be joining us on the ship, right, right next to her, and she wasn't like, oh. So <laughs> it seemed like I she think she she that. expected him, but she didn't expect the uh, overwhelming emotion she had when she saw him, and uh, she called him Imzadi, and that's like beloved. Um, yeah, beloved, right? That yeah. means beloved. Oh, I didn't know what was going on with that weird like um voiceover thing. I thought she was talking to her mom about something. They were having a telekinetic moment. Uh, well, but that's that's the point though. Like you can look back now not clear and me. it all makes very like it's crystal clear what's going on. It's just the execution is a little sloppy. But to Grant's yeah. point, if you're watching this fresh, it's kind of like, huh? I thought it was not- like it was a dear diary to her mom about like the, like this this time where she like liked this guy, but it wasn't that, her though. talking to him at all. I never thought that. Yeah, <laughs> it I is odd because you're also hearing like Picard's voiceover of his captain's log, right? So you're just like, oh, is this her like yeah. log entry? <laughs> yeah, it was, was kind of have a left field. They they got much better at knowing when. And how to use the voiceover, and I felt like it gets much less. It's right? more of a book, a, a bookend type thing mm-hmm. as it goes on. Yeah, it's yeah. less random. Uh, Kern says, "Can you guys see his comment?" Yeah, mm-hmm. the director did a miserable job. Apparently, he ha- he did things so quickly that they had to film extra to pad the pilot. There's a lot of weird stuff going on behind the scenes in this pilot. This was written by DC Fontana a long time original series um, Star Trek writer. And she had written most of the, the far point stuff, the actual far point mission uh, without Q uh, in the episode. And then Gene Roddenberry decided that he wanted to make this an event and pad it out to a two part series premiere. So he added the Q stuff 
um, without really telling her. And after they that, the stories connect the plots. They did not connect. They didn't work together. And then they just kind of Frankenstein this thing together. So it definitely feels extremely disjointed. And then the climax at the end feels so very anticlimactic because um, humanity proves itself not to be savages because they allowed two jellyfish to bone in space. They held tentacles. Yeah. Could I get <laughs> more explanation from you guys of what exactly was going on there? Like, it seems like this planet Farpoint was trying to sell um, a system thing to the to to Starfleet. Be like, hey, we can we can set up little uh, bases, kind of like this. But what they were actually doing was exploiting these jellyfish that could make apples appear on a table or some shit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the jellyfish can make anything appear. Yeah, it's an energy being. Yeah. So yeah. they were they were holding hostage some jellyfish alien magic beings to um, exploit them, but this wasn't actually a reproducible thing that they could market to Starfleet. So why were they doing it? It doesn't make sense. Well, they they wanted them to come and uh, buy or rent the base. You know, and that's why the the issue that the the Groppler, a guy named Groppler, yeah, he's not a bad guy. The <laughs> the Groppler was like, they were like, hey, can we get your engineers to come to some of our planets and make a base like this? He's like, no, well, we don't like to leave home. You have to buy this base and and use it here, because obviously they had the jellyfish trapped, God knows where, creating the base for them. So the idea was that, you know, they would. Starfleet would come pay rent or pay for the base and the Groppler and his crew would run it, but they're not really running it. They're just getting easy money because all they have to do is make the jellyfish do whatever Starfleet wants. Mm-hmm. Well said, Mike. Um, this episode also does uh, the... Damn it. I'm sorry. Uh, the Enterprise? Does the Enterprise... It's, it's in a, your no. name. You put it on the screen. <laughs> I realize it's like right in front of you. <laughs> does, does the Enterprise have any Vulcans on it, like as part of the main crew? Mm-hmm. Uh, not part of the main crew, no. Roddenberry wanted to depict new aliens and not show Vulcans that much, like because Spock was such a big presence. I think that was a mistake, but... Um, there are some Vulcans in the background of this episode when Worf goes yeah. to engineering. I remember yeah. seeing like a, a guy and like a kid walk by that looked Vulcan, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh, they're not. I, is that not part of the crew? Like a, a Vulcan there? Um, no, the uh, the I guess the Spock role with the outsider role in the crew is filled by Data, the android. And who's the blonde lady? Because I don't remember Ooh. her ever being on this show. Oh, there's a reason you don't remember her. Would you like to know? <laughs> yeah, get a mic. But she dies really quickly. The hot freaks, like thing that we did. (laughs) So that must be one of the early episodes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the hot, the hot freaks clip that you picked has. That's her. (laughs) Yeah, has Riker without the beard. So that's that's an early episode. Uh, Clyde, I don't remember. Does Tasha make it past season one? I don't think so. Right. Um, It's what's so fascinating about this is so. Her character's name is uh, Security Chief Tasha Yar. And for someone who, when you think about the fact that the show was on seven seasons, so when you think about the fact that she wasn't in that many episodes, 
She was still on like 26 episodes. It well, yes. <laughs> Out of like 200. Yeah, but yeah. but that but the issue is her character is such a like a, a a touchstone for some reason. Like it's so memorable. It's almost like it's in remembrance of her. Um but it's fascinating that yeah, she 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 dies a pretty um I don't want to say insignificant, ridiculous is probably the right word, death. Um that it's everybody, it sticks out with everybody. It's it's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, home home chicky confirmed that Tasha dies in season one. Yeah, I think um yeah, the speaking of Tasha, the funny thing in this episode is like we're talking about character development, which there's not much of in this episode. Um right when Tasha is going to talk about her history and her character arc she's like she's talking about her reasons why she joined starfleet and why you know everyone should respect picard and the crew and and all of a sudden she just gets frozen no character development from you please please stop i thought she was gonna die right there and that was gonna be the end of her Mm -hmm. well I, i think if you if i if i think back to like the original series I think you would get these moments where characters would show up and they give this kind of monologue backstory about that would give you some information. And it was almost as we're, we're going to stop that. And by freezing her and almost killing her in the moment, which is an interesting concept. However, I felt like we needed that information. Kind of like I, I, I was really looking forward to hearing what she said. Well, one of the things I was struck by in this episode was just how run and gun it begins. Picard just meets everybody, and all of a sudden, Q shows up, and then they're thrust into this ridiculous situation. The the they separate the saucer section like before the fifteen minute mark, and they're on the battle bridge, which we I don't think we ever see again. Maybe once or twice. And the ship is running around without the saucer looking like a little ducky for like half the episode, which is just a strange, strange iconography to have in your first episode, your first Star Trek episode. Like the ship doesn't look like the ship. A lot of weird choices in this. But I want to go back to Q because when Grant was talking about Q, his take on Q, uh, I think P.W. Gregory in the chat um, put it best. He says, amazing that Grant got this from that episode. I have always thought that was a later interpretation. So it's remarkable. Someone got that from this. Of course, he's talking about your Q interpretation, how, how Q sure is like a devilish trickster, but he's doing it to help humanity progress and reach its um, potential. And like I talked about earlier, Q does claim to do that. But I don't think I ever thought that when I first watched this episode or ever went back to it. Maybe further on, especially like in Voyager, when he actually like literally becomes buddies with, with some people in the cast. You kind of get that. Um, but I'm Mariah. intuitive. Yeah, exactly. Mariah, from the outset, did you ever think that Q was anything but a, I don't know, a, not a force for evil, but a guy who just wants to... I mean, he's, he's just bored and wants to fuck with people. He's so contrarian, right? Like he's like the ultimate contrarian. And so t- to me, he poses some interesting 
questions, but perhaps the tactics are never quite right to get to where I think he wants them to go. I mean, even from the get-go of this, I mean, it doesn't help that this plot was so disjointed that I was like, I think they would have come to this conclusion of this episode without having this back of mind idea that they're being judged. Like to me, this was just the logical progression of a Starfleet officer's choices would be to be like, something's fishy here. You know, like Riker doesn't know what's going on with Q and he's already a little suspicious of what's happening. You know, it's like, I I feel like we didn't need him to be like, you must prove humanity is worth saving by saving jellyfish lovers. And like, we could have gotten there without, you know, the lesson still would have been there without Q being there to me. And instead it was like, I mean, I appreciate, and I think we should off a lot of folks should be reminded about the awfulness of humanity more often. I think if we reflected on our history more often as a society, maybe some things would not be happening currently. Um, especially the Texas legislature really doesn't like cracking open a history book, but um, I digress. Maybe Q needs to go fuck with the Texas legislature more than he needs to fuck with Starfleet. (laughs) Like, I need someone to dress up as John Delancey as Q and go waltzing in (laughs) to the Capitol building this week. would be great. I nominate Um, Grant Enterprise Davis. It would be fantastic. (laughs) Um, However, I do think the thing I love about Q is Q is pure campy television. He yes. is maniacal. He's like, when he shows up, you know, it's going to be the wackiest episode you've watched in a long time. You're going to enjoy the ride, which is why I thought this was such a weird episode to me. Because normally when Q shows up, I'm like, oh, he's here. What the heck is going to happen? This You have no idea what's going to happen that time. And whereas this, I was like, okay, well, the outfit slaps and the the like... The weird throne that's on like a, a a tongue thing is interesting, and then there's very problematic characters in this courtroom. <laughs> uh, big time, big time problematic stuff in that courtroom. So I don't know, mixed bag for me on this particular episode. But normally I enjoy the contrarian nature of Q. Yeah, I I think the you know you Mike you've mentioned before that this trick trickster. And I think you've referenced him to a bit like the Loki character. My Mm. issue is that often when we see a trickster character, um, we see tricksters among among equals, right? And so we see, like, there is some semblance of, of a power dynamic that is a bit shared. Here, what we're seeing is omnipotence, omnipresence. Q is everything and everywhere. Um, And, What's interesting about that is his actions denote that, but it's really about being silly. And I didn't think there was enough fear if that's the case, right? And there never is. It's actually like Picard is never actually afraid of Q. Like the way they talk about him or the way they talk to him, when actually what you're dealing with is someone who is literally all-powerful. Yeah, but I I thought that like Picard kind of addresses that in that he's like, yeah, this guy's obviously God level power. So at the end of the day, what can I really do? 
the only thing I can do is just be true to myself and keep doing what I was going to do because I'm not going to be able to, like, if this guy wants to stop me, he'll just stop me. (laughs) So, uh, and I I think that's kind of what Q was aware of too. And he's, he's like, I'm, I'm, it seems like he's his lodestar, right? He's, he's basically like, I'm here to guide you, but I'm not going to do it through a direct path. I need to challenge you and you need to feel adversarial to me in order for you to have the conviction to make the choice to be the type of person you need to be to be the captain of this ship and to remember that you always need to be focused on not 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 uh, reverting to the baser na- nature of, of what humanity is to be um, aggressive and, and, and cruel but to be compassionate and, and considerate in, in all your actions going forward. And I, I, I mean, it felt like it's, it's the new mantra that they wanted to kind of push for uh, the next generation versus um, the, the womanizing punch them in the face first uh, Kirk that maybe they yeah. had in, uh, in the original series. Yeah, very much. It was definitely Gene Roddenberry um, telling the viewers, Hey, grapple with your past and your present. We are still pretty savage, um, but in the future, there's hope. In the future, we can be like the Federation. We can, um, we can put aside war and crime and hate and anger and replace that with, um, and, and, and cynicism, take cynicism away and replace it with camaraderie, you know, compassion, um, and we can progress. Uh, and I think that's a, a big theme that he was trying to push here in, in not, a not so subtle way. Um, it, it was sloppy as hell. <laughs> I mean, it's Mike, pretty sloppy. Mike, I like what you're saying. There's just one problem. Mm. I don't have the legs for the skirt, man. I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't have. Like, I'm, all for, I'm all for a future where we push past our savageness. But um, we have to change up the wardrobe because I don't have the legs for it, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, thick thick thighs save lives. So I think if, uh, you know, all the more power to some skirts. Just you know. maybe a few more pleats in it and then you have a little more flexibility. I need a couple more inches in it. I mean, I need something. Like a, this... Maybe a skirt, you know. I mean, I, I got some junk back there. It's the thing going to rise up. It's, it's not going to. Just it's saying. not going to work out in the end. Mm-mm. No, I need a little more fabric. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about Q, the Q introduction generally is like, this just seems so like if you're introducing someone to new characters, like the, the idea of bringing in someone who is so campy like Q into this world it, it tonally sets a very, it, it just like clashed so hard with how serious and tight and like, like cold everyone was. Whereas John Delancey is just like, this is my stage. I own everything. Literally. And I think someone in the comments mentioned, like, I don't know how campy, this campy character is going to fit into this new adult drama world of Picard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny. You guys, I remember you guys saying something about um, when Riker comes in, he's kind of awkward and he's not good until he grows his beard and then he gets really good. But I thought he was super charming in this first episode. I thought he came in with all the right um, 
not not just like swagger, but like just just general like likability. And I was I was already like on board with this version of Riker, and I'm not really familiar with the beard version and and how that's going to change things. But I I think he gets much better. Like I, I wasn't a fan really in the way he interacted with Jordy, the way he interacted with data. Um, There, there's definitely were some kind of overt power things at play. And, you know, if you think about data as a vehicle to talk about, you know, racism, um, there were some issues there, but the the Jonathan Frake smile is super charming. You know what? You're right though. Like in the very beginning, there was this like weird scene where um, Jordy like comes up to him a little bit too casually, and he like dresses Jordy down apropos of nothing. There's like no one else around. And he's like, "You better call me with respect." Or like, I was like, "The fuck, dude!" <laughs> like. Yeah, he 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 hasn't found his Bill Clinton vibe yet, right? Like I I've always looked at it as we get to a point where Riker I means. <laughs> well, if I you think, don't know if that's like the best analogy anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> what I look at is Riker's got this charming. He becomes this very charming, cool, like able to connect with just about anyone. He plays a, in this case, a trombone. Um, he plays a trombone. He plays poker. Like Riker is like the epitome of power, authority, cool. Right. And he is a womanizer. So he's just, he's, he's the cool, he's cool. He's not there yet. Okay. I do yeah, wonder I, if I, like, found him pretty pretty charming in this episode too i don't think that the um that Riker is bad before the beard i think the show itself doesn't get great until he grows the beard i think it's a thing i think Riker is a good bridge character to take you from kirk to picard as well mm -hmm. because he is that middle ground of like a lot of the things we like about kirk without a lot of the things you don't love about kirk Right. right. Like he's not as, um, you know, quick to draw, you know, quick to trigger kind of a person. Right. But, but going back to your earlier point, Mariah, I, I know I kind of took us on a, a unnecessary uh, tangent of, about Riker himself, but you know, um, Q John Delancey's character clearly feels so much more comfortable and at home in this show uh, than everyone else who's still trying to feel out their longer term roles. And I wonder if that's a little bit more um, also attributed to someone who's cast as a, a guest spot in a show versus someone who's like, you have to figure out and define this character. And that's going to take some time over a, a series of episodes where you're going to have to um, work toward that. Whereas you have a character actor who just gets to ham it up. And we're immediately going to gravitate toward that, you know? I think it's also a case of the show not knowing its tone yet, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe, like, you know, the story of how this episode came to be. The two writers didn't really collaborate while working on this episode or creating this episode. So it only stands to reason that the actors didn't really talk to each other much about the tone. There weren't tone meetings. And Delancey probably just showed up the day before and was like, okay, cool. I'm going to puck it up. 
I mean, he had quite the, like, I was looking at his IMDb of like what he was doing up to, to next gen. He had such a good run in 86 to 87. It was Twilight, the new Twilight Zone, MacGyver, Murder, She Wrote, and then Star Trek. And I was like, way to hit like all the heavy hitters of the 80s. Like, (laughs) Wow. You know, I I also think we, we have to be careful about judging or critiquing storytelling of the late 80s with a 2021 mindset, right? Because I think one of the things that we're all picking up on is they will get to the mid-90s where they figure out ensemble, right? And they're probably at that point on the forefront of ensemble. Yeah. I, and when, I, did, yeah. when did she... So she, well, So here's the thing, though. I feel like... Like Cheers is 82 and is such a strong ensemble pilot. MASH was also around the same time. Another really strong ensemble pilot. So I think, I I agree with you, Mike. I think they were trying to figure out the tone. And a lot of these shows went through that, right? Like MASH started out much more serious Mm -hmm. than where it ended up, right? Like the levity started to to come into it. But I, I... yeah. I'm with you, Mariah, but I, I I look at it and go, do we have an example of a drama, an hour-long drama that really gets ensemble right? Right? Because comedy, back then, because comedy, I yeah. think, lends itself to ensemble. Right. Right? Drama, because, again, I think about the original series, and the original series felt like it was very Kirk-focused. Right? with kind of depressing, like a drama. <laughs> yeah, there were too many jokes. There were too many, yeah. jokes. Too many jokes. Clyde, yeah. probably the best example is Hill Street Blues. But That's a good that, one. that was a crime show. It was a cop yeah. show. It was more like, um, it was very episodic, though. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and and so I, again, I think they were trying to figure out that tone, and they're going to get it. And when they get it, it's gonna—I mean, it is going to set the standard for sci-fi ensemble. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's still a lot of just kind of obvious flaws about the the episode. You know, aside from tone and like the ensemble not like clicking yet, and not really knowing that. The, the story structure, as you guys already pointed out, just wasn't there. This doesn't, it doesn't feel cohesive. It's not really the most exciting way to um, uh, kick off a show that you're, you're trying to um, reboot a franchise of. And there are elements that I think, you know, now in hindsight are iconic and, and people love, but it's very different nowadays how you th- how I think people approach um, doing an homage to a, a franchise as well as um, bringing new a new audience in, and it's it's kind of clear that this this episode or this two parter here was sloppily kind of piled together from a couple different areas, and and doesn't translate as well. Yeah, it's true. It's like they were making this and crossing their fingers the whole time because they didn't really have it down, you know. It, it, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm reminded of, didn't we have concerns about Discovery similarly that the first few episodes in Discovery, there was a lot of drama going on behind the scenes? 
changes uh, yeah, showrunners and things yeah. like that. It was totally dark, and I think you guys are kind of a little bit more surprised at like how how heavy it was. But that 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 was more of like this is what I was used to seeing in a lot of TV shows, and I was just like, oh, cool. This is this is awesome. This is how it should be. And you guys are like, no, but Trek should be a little bit more optimistic. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know any difference. It got there. It got there eventually. Yeah. Um, well, since um, since we know Q, John Delancey is going to reprise the role of Q in Picard season two coming up in January. Um, and the reason we know that um, we talked about it a few weeks ago, uh, Delancey was on a, a panel for first contact day with Picard, um, Patrick Stewart. And they announced, yeah, he's coming back. And we still don't know how many episodes John Delancey is going to be in in season two as Q. But I heard, rumor mm-hmm. has it, he's on for a two-season arc. Right. Yeah. He's been doing he's been doing a lot of cameos lately. You know, cameo.com. And he's kind of spilling the beans on his character a lot in, in season two of Picard with those cameos. He's... Awesome. Apparently, he's been talking about filming episodes for two seasons of Picard. Apparently, they're filming seasons two and three back to back. And he has scenes with every major character. And he's at least um, slated to film six plus episodes. So he's going to be around for a while. What if this is all a lie? What if this was all just like a total red herring. They're just like, we're going to throw this out there to throw them all off the scent from the reality, which is we're actually going to just have a Michelle Hurd and, uh, and Jerry Ryan spinoff show. <laughs> then fine with well me. done. Well done on your marketing because you've got us all talking about it and way to own the lull between shows. <laughs> Congratulations. You got me. But, I mean, you guys are more familiar with what Q does in later episodes. Is he kind of consistently um, a thorn in, in Picard's side that is ultimately trying to um, get him to come to a a better conclusion about certain things? Like Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. He's always a thorn in Picard's side, Sometimes and Picard always hates seeing him. Stir the pot moment. Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking he is the uncle that shows up unannounced at the door to cause a little bit of havoc. If you think of Pietro in WandaVision, he's kind of like that. So you mean Ralph it, Boner? <laughs> yeah, Ralph Boner. It, is it that um, the writers are inconsistent with how they want to portray him? Then, or I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, there is. Are they not sure what Q should be or what his ultimate goal is? No, I think there is a uh, a goal with Q to to push Picard and crew to where they they can be to. Um, and there's in an episode that we're going to watch, I think in a few weeks, he he definitely does that. But there's always these dangerous consequences. So he does definitely act like a disconnected God being just playing chess with human lives. Um, so he in his own way, he is trying to to help humanity progress. But he does it so recklessly that people die. Terrible things happen. And he doesn't really give a shit. That's what I was kind of wondering. Do you, do we ever end up seeing, you know, after all these years of this 
kind of a relationship between him and Picard and crew that maybe he starts to show he does give a shit. Yes. Q does grow as a character. Sometimes it is inconsistent, but by the time we get to the finale, which works really as a piece with the series premiere, which is pretty, pretty impressive since they're like seven years apart. Um, that relationship doesn't necessarily come full circle, but it does deepen very much the relationship between Q and Picard to where if you've seen that, you can kind of get why Q will be showing up in Picard season two, kind of at the end of Picard's life. You can, it makes sense that the character would want to be there. He, he even at one point offers Picard the opportunity to become a Q. Really? I know he does that to Riker. Does he do that to Picard too? He with Vosh. The the offers for both of them to just go to be to join the continuum and to explore and fulfill every archaeological fantasy Picard has ever had. Mm-hmm. Well, then what do you guys like? What's kind of your expectation or uh yeah, what what do you think is going to be the the relationship and the dynamic between him and Picard then somebody want to take it. I mean, the themes they've set us up to believe is it has something to do with going back to fix a regret. And so I don't know if this is the point where Q finally has a soft moment for Picard. Now that Picard is technically not a human anymore. Um, and what does that look like as far as how their relationship works? Since he's real Q is around to test humanity and right. so I guess we're going to have to test Picard's non-human humanity. I, I am trying not to be cynical. Um, but I look at this and go, I can't get past the the business side of this. And if you were to ask me, or if I were to ask you, of all the current... if I So first, let me ask, of all the current Star Trek fran- fran- franchises, what is your least favorite? Current or uh, current, current Picard. Picard. Where would you put Picard in all of the franchises ever? Above um, Enterprise and Voyager. That's it. I don't think I would put it above Voyager. You do that to Voyager. I know he's poking. We all have opinions. (laughs) We're all entitled. Everything that uh, came before it. Well, I, I, I asked that question because I look and go, if you're on the production side of this and you see you've got a franchise with someone like Patrick Stewart, you kind of look and go, what can we do to really bring some excitement to it? Right. And what we've been talking about is John Delancey will absolutely bring something interesting and lightness, some light to the show. And then you also talk about bringing in Whoopi Goldberg, right? Who, oddly enough, was a beloved character on TNG, but now has an infinitely larger fan base, mm-hmm. right? So you bring in anything about her in production and she's still showing up every day for The View. The only uh, thing I've seen about uh, yeah. her is Delancey saying he does have scenes with her and he annoys the hell out of her. So, yeah. So, w- Guinan is her name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And she was a 
like a bartender slash counselor for people's problems. She mm-hmm. was more of a counselor than Troy was. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of like an eternal being. Yeah. She's like thousands Wait. of years old, has a lot of wisdom. Yeah. Okay. So when, when uh, Dennis was talking about in, in that question here, do you think it'll be Guinan versus Q in, in season two? Is are do they kind of play on on opposite sides of the spectrum where uh, Q is a little bit more of this agent of chaos and Guinan is a little bit more of this this grounded uh, sage soul? Very much, I've, yeah, yeah. I've always seen her as an oracle figure. Okay, but very much. But there there is an interaction between Guinan and Q in season two of TNG where we find out that they've had dealings a few centuries before. And they both hate each other, and they kind of do finger puppets at each other, like "stay away." But that's all that comes to that. <laughs> okay, it's okay. just it's just kind of hinted at that they have a history, mm-hmm. and and Q is very bothered by her. But tell me that you're, if you look at this and you know that that is a possibility, right? And no one here has said Picard is my favorite, my my favorite franchise. You're interested in seeing that, right? And yeah. I think it was um, uh, P.W. Gregory says she and Q have a history that's unexplored. Absolutely. Who here doesn't want to know about that? Right. So it's driving our attention to Picard. Mm-hmm. Right. Not to mention there's some characters that I still want to know more about. Right. Um, namely the ship. But this has gotten our attention. So I'm I am absolutely interested in it so when you ask me what do i think the point is i think the point is for it to be interesting yeah i think think in the good if you watch the finale of tng um when q picks up this trial again with picard and we have this this conclusion to it um and even in this episode q talks about makes references to how humanity can further evolve and might be able to and at the end of the series um he brings that up again and Picard says he believes that humanity can evolve in, in many different ways uh, as we go on. And I think if you think about that in season two of Picard, Picard, like Mariah was saying, has evolved. He's transcended humanity. He's still Picard on the inside, I guess, but he has a synthetic body. So what does that mean? Um, does that mean that he is closer to being an eternal being like Q? And what does that mean for their relationship? And are Q really just uh, humans who have evolved with technology that is so advanced that it seems like magic? And it's Picard himself heading that way? There's a lot of cool things to potentially explore in season two. Yeah. I like I mean, the oh agreed. Oh no, you're you go ahead, Grant. I like the idea that Picard season one was this exploration of of this kind of existentialism um for Picard at at the the later years of his life, kind of reflecting on on past regrets in the first season as well. And and what what could have been, and we get this, you know, for as much as there's other problems and things that we didn't in, enjoy in this the season, I thought that the send off that Data got 
uh, was touching. I thought it was, it was, it was well executed as well as um, Picard kind of being able to confront and address some of these things in his life that he felt didn't go the way he had hoped. And if that's going to be something they, they explore a bit further in, in this second season using um, or with Q kind of jumping in there to, to help him navigate those, even if it's in a way that's tedious for him and a little bit of a chore and a challenge there, there ultimately could be something beautiful that, that comes out the other end of that, which does, you know, to, to, to your point, Clyde, um, the, bringing Q in could make this something that is more interesting and something I, I do want to uh, explore. And, and Picard does seem to be a show that plays off of a lot more of uh, the pain of, of life and, and, and humanity than the other ones. And there's something kind of brutal, but also beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to call my shot here. This is what I think is going to happen. We're going to. Why, why is everybody laughing? No, I'm serious. I'm ready. Th- this is what we're going to get. We're going to get a quantum leap esque show mm-hmm. where Q is gives Picard the opportunity to go back in time and fix the regrets, and I'm going to say largely of his life and the things around him, and maybe not for the entire season, but we'll get some episodes. But that's what it's looking like. And, and you can think of Q kind of as the Al character with a little bit more trickery and more comedy. Yeah, How are that's, they, that, that's a good call. I, I just don't think they're going to recast like or like what have younger versions of everyone or like have to digitally. They're going to use that de-aging stuff that they mm-hmm. used on the Irishman. The age everyone. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek has already proven that they can um, successfully create episodes in which modern day actors and characters are inserted into old 60s Star Trek episodes. They did that with DS9 really successfully. And they did it with Voyager too. And that was back in the 90s. So they can totally Forrest Gump this shit. Do you th- mm-hmm. So you think it, it might be a little bit of like. Uh... Um, it's a wonderful life or something like that, where you, you kind of explore your regrets, but like he gets the opportunity to start changing all of these and realizes that the future that those choices um, create aren't actually what he wants for the future. It's interesting you say that because we've been there before with Picard and Q there's a episode we're going to watch in a few weeks called tapestry where that exact same thing happens. And it's, that's the theme of the episode. So we're going to get some kind of twist on that. Cause I don't think they would just um, redo that trope for a brand and new series. Can, and you got to think, we know a lot more about time travel. Probably. So, you know, Picard's not going to buy an almanac and leave it in the DeLorean. This is, he's going to be much more conscious and thoughtful about his time travel. I am wondering if they're going to use these next two seasons to set up the essentially the temporal wars that led to where Discovery is now, right? Because we hmm. still have a pretty large gap of time that hasn't been filled in as far as like what we know has happened in this in this universe. Um so I, I would wonder if they're going to use that opportunity. I also, I know this isn't going to be true, but in my mind, this would be really fun is if at the very end, um, 
Q dissolves and uh, has Michelle Yeoh become the new Q. And then so our next series is just Michelle Yeoh doing Q fuckery. I'm here for it. Right? I'm yeah. in. You had me at you had me at Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I mean, that's all you have to say for me that's to watch really it. Right. So that could be that could be cool. Uh, uh, passing the torch to someone else because I mean, I'm still down for Michelle Yeoh. Just you know, in her character, but mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah, but it's like her with Q powers. Mm. <laughs> could be good. Could be good. All right, guys. Anything else to say about this episode? Um, really, really about Q. Um, I know we're going to watch a few more Q episodes coming up, and believe it or not, the character does evolve a little bit from what I remember. So, are you guys are you guys excited about more Q? I think that the concept of having this um, eternal watcher being who does like to occasionally interject themselves into the lives and happenings of of key figures within um within the universe in particular picard i guess uh it, it's an interesting element of the star trek universe and if handled with with care with good writers could be a really fun thing it could also be a, a tedious trope i'm not sure I'm always fascinated by the other Q that typically accompany or comes with Q. Like we get, you know, Corbin Burnson and Susie Plaxon. So it's, it, I'm mildly interested in seeing where, how much more Q and the continuum that we get as a, as this goes on. So I'm, I, I'm along for the ride for a little bit more. Oh wait, was that dude from Discovery who's like reading the newspaper in the bowler hat? Was he a Q then? No, he was a guardian. Yeah, the guardian of forever. Okay, that's okay. another podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. That's a all good right. episode of the original series. Though. It, it's um, like the best episode. Yeah, it's so good. It's one of my faves. Um, the only thing I have to say about this episode is they um, did DeForest Kelly super dirty with that old age makeup. That's yeah, they, was. Okay. they also gave him terrible, terrible dialogue. Terrible dialogue. Awful. And, Why um, is he all of a sudden uh, ancient. have this redneck accent? Yes. Hey, boy. <laughs> what is happening? And, and, and just the words that come out of his mouth are so ridiculous for that time period. They were ridiculous for his time period, yeah. let alone in a hundred years in the future. I'm just like, if you're going to give me like, I love DeForest Kelly. How are you going to do this to my doctor? I hated yeah. it. Such a weird I'm a, scene. I'm I mean, I like 37 years old. <laughs> yeah. I like seeing him, but all of a sudden he's foghorn leghorn. Yes. <laughs> also, why did you have to give him such old age makeup? Like, I know he was already fairly old. Just like get in the grooves a little bit, you know? Yeah. Because anyway. he's 137, Mariah. <laughs> and it has never used retinol cream. Come on. Never. He's all natural, <laughs> baby. His overalls were on point. Foghorn, leghorn. <laughs> I, I I will say a couple things that like this episode did that made no sense to me was there just wasn't a gradual transition to getting us used to the crew or the ship before they damn near tried to break it all. 
Like, listen, I think the fact that the salts are separate and the battle bridge can separate is great. I did need it in the pilot. Right. I just, I didn't need that. Yeah. All right. We're coming up on the end of the hour, past the end of the hour. Wow. Had a lot to say about this episode. This 90 minute. Super awesome. Past. (laughs) It was great. Loved it. All right. (laughs) Next time in a, in about two weeks, we're going to be talking about another pretty significant Q episode. Q who it's a season two episode. It's where Q introduces. Who? Come on now. (laughs) Come on now. You you said you were going to do that joke. I didn't do the joke I was about to do, so I'm I'm stopping. Q introduces everybody to the Borg, so that's a huge deal. And that's actually a a pretty badass episode, in my my opinion. I've seen it recently, and I really enjoyed it, so I can't wait to talk about it. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, What do we do now? Oh, yeah. Mariah, tell everybody the thing. Uh, Yeah, you can follow us on places. You can go to StarTrekPod.co to listen uh, to us on audio-only links or to find links to where you can watch this replay. Um, You can also find links to, like, our Patreon and stuff. You should also engage with us on social media. We're at StarTrekPod and all of those things. Shouts to Karen and to James who help us out with all of those things. And uh, and I think this is now where we plug our social media because I took everybody else's lines. You're welcome. Well, I just want to say if you do decide to donate $2 and you want to join the Slack channel um, at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod, we are watching CSI Star Trek. It's a, a, a mashup of detective like shows in the Star Trek universe tomorrow. Um, so if you watch this on Friday, we are doing, like I said, it's almost every night. Um, I don't know that I will be there on friday um but the gang will be so uh if you get a chance come on by and and check it out all right and find us at star trek pod.co uh grant where can people find you online uh baron von grant look that up clyde at clyde haynes on twitter mariah i'm at mariah gossett that's mariah with a y and a gossett with two s's and two t's Find me on Twitter at Mike Moody Garcia. And for now, live long and prosper. <laughs>